Last week was the topic of meditation. If you were to think about meditation and just even kind of forgetting about what we learned last week, but if you're just to think about meditation in kind of this uh, Christian realm as we're here at church, what would you associate with meditation? Meditation and what? You know, there might be different things to come to mind, but I think one of the things that would probably come to our minds is meditation and prayer, or maybe meditation and fasting. Did anybody think of one of those things? Did anybody think of nothing at all? Meditation, you know, and that's, that's very probable and possible because we just don't talk about meditation much. But I want to uh, encourage you to think about from the standpoint of biblical meditation, not some Far Eastern kind of um, kind of thing that we talked about last week. But as you think about biblical meditation as it is described and defined, well-defined in the Old Testament, that it was this muttering of the word of God as one went throughout the day. So you're passing somebody on the road, they might be, uh, meditating on the word of God as they walked along and reciting, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Um, you know, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul, mind, and strength. You know, they would actually speak and mutter the word of God. And that was their way. And it was, it was a necessity, as I proposed to you, that they had to do that. They had to know the law because they weren't able to have written forms. It had to be spoken to them, they had to listen to it, then they had to recite it so that they could learn it and have it. So for them to know the Word of God, for them to be able to live according to the Word of God, they had to be able to meditate upon it. They had to be able to speak it, memorize it, share it with the younger ones so that then they could meditate upon it, share it and speak it to others. So now as we think about that happening, you think about that word then kind of dwelling within a person who is able to meditate like that, to be able to speak the words of God. God's instruction is in your mouth. It is on your lips. That is going to help you be able to live according to that word, just as is indicated in uh, Psalm chapter 1. You know, you meditate upon that and you do it and you'll be blessed. And so, then the another thing that is going to logically come from that is your thoughts are constantly geared towards the one whose instructions are on your lip. You are thinking about God. Having his word in our hearts, then thinking about us and an application to us, if we focus on God and his word, it's an opportunity for us to fulfill this command to pray without ceasing. We're going to end up going there again, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 17 is a very short verse. And if you want to start by memorizing a very easy verse, you can do this one. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. The NIV, pray continuously. So as often as you can, as long as, you know, an opportunity to speak to God, Right? Prayer isn't necessarily you're driving along, you decide to pray, so you've got to pull over, fold your hands, close your eyes, bow your head, and start praying. No, prayer is having your thoughts continually towards God. You speaking to Him, having your thoughts, even if they're not directly geared towards God, but they're honoring God even. So our thoughts, our words, 
we are in constant conversation with God as much as possible. Um, every once in a while, I will think when I put the kids to bed, if I am encouraging them to pray on their own, I'll, I'll say, don't, instead of saying, often it's, don't forget to say your prayers. That's the one I grew up with. But then often I will think and don't forget to have and define it a little bit. You know, remember, that's just a conversation with God. Just talk with God. Talk with him. We are not filling in, filling out some kind of ritual and checking it off the list that we have to do this, do this, do this. It's the thought of having conversation with God. And we see that in scripture as we turn to Genesis chapter one, we see the creation that takes place in six days, and each one of the preceding days, you might remember that, that God looked at whatever he did that day, the first five days, and he said it was good. Then on the sixth day, he makes all the animals, and then we pick up in Genesis 1.27. Follow along with me here, because we're going to be talking about prayer, and we're seeing how this relates to prayer. Genesis 1.27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Now pay attention to the next words. And God said to them. Right? So God made Adam and Eve in the garden. Male and female. They're in the garden. We get a more a better description of the creation of male and female in chapter 2. It kind of revisits what happened on this day. But in Genesis chapter 1, it's just this over, overall picture, kind of a summary of what happened. So God created man, created woman, and blessed them and said to them, here he is speaking to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, behold, you know, and just, you know, we hear these words, but this is a man and a woman standing there hearing the words of God. And I would contend seeing his form in some fashion because it talks about him being in the garden later. We're going to look at this. But he's speaking to them. They're hearing this. Be fruitful and multiply. Verse number 29. And then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth. And every tree that has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything which moves on the earth, which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. And so we see this image of God speaking in person to these people and they're not just kind of having to read what he says they're hearing his voice and they hear him say these words and God invites them into be participating in his creation and now that he has man and woman there to kind of cultivate this garden to take care of it and to fill up the earth and rule over it and to be a participant, just as God rules over it, he invites us in to be a participant with that, kind of taking care of everything. We're in this project with him. He, it, it's 
finished, it's complete, and he says it was very good. And part of this being very good is that God is speaking to man, and man can hear. And I, I say that in terms of man and woman, they can hear his voice. It's a relationship, and it is very good. It's very good. Chapter 2 talks, uh, God speaks to, to man some more in chapter, chapter 2, but we're going to skip on to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. This is after they had disobeyed and eaten from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were commanded to not eat from. Verse 8 says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now this is an interesting phrase right here, isn't it? Because we don't know, when we get to chapter 3, and, and people have all kinds of different thoughts about this, but you've got to ask yourself, you know, it's completely left out of the Bible how long they were in the garden without sinning. We have no clue. We have no clue how long it had been. A week? A month? A year? A hundred years? Five hundred years? We don't know. We don't know. But in verse number 8, it illuminates something that it just seems, and I can't prove this, but it sounds like when they hear the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, it was a sound they were familiar with. God walking amongst men in a garden. And to, for me, it begs the question, well, how many, as I'm thinking about prayer, prayer being conversation with God, how many conversations had the man and woman had with God? And I think there had been a few. I think there's reasons to rule out a long time before they sinned. I think this is relatively quickly. Because just from the standpoint of children, I think there's a, a picture of them just being here a week, a month, a year. I don't know, but it seems like picture, children haven't come into the picture yet, it seems. But, I, you know, no matter how long it's been, they were familiar with the sound. They were familiar with God being amongst them in the garden. This is the garden of perfection. This is the perfect place, right? God was in their midst. They could walk with him. And I want to say it seems like they could talk with him. Maybe I'm stretching a little bit, but it makes you think and makes you wonder. It seems like a normal occurrence for God to walk in the garden. And it seems like there's this possibility that they could have had many conversations with God in that garden that aren't recorded here for us. So, regardless of what has happened before this time, let's continue reading. So they hear him walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Probably not their previous response. Instead of hiding, they probably had gone to him before. No. Verse number 9. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? 
He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, Now, okay, this is a difficult conversation. It's not a pleasant conversation, but nonetheless, it is a conversation. God speaking to man, man speaking right back. Later, the woman replies, conversation with God, conversation with God. Isn't this one of the most compelling thoughts in Scripture? Is this not something that kind of makes you think? If I could only do that. (laughs) If he'd only show up before me and I could speak to him and he would speak to me and I could talk back and we could have this conversation. That is an amazing thought to us. And as we go through all of the Old Testament, we kind of do this just in a short picture here. We're going to look at a couple of these folks that have conversations with God, and it's like it it draws us in, and, and it's like, oh, I wish I could do that. It's still that same thought that goes back to uh, uh, the dear lady from down at Panorama, uh, um, Blanche Dow, she would tell me that, Eric, I just wish he'd show up. You know, and she didn't necessarily want to even have that conversation, but just to see him, that would have been enough. And if you're going to see him, well, then the next step is to talk with him. They're very related. We just wish we could have something like this. But just think, before this difficult conversation that they had, it seems like when we get to this first conversation, it's very easy to kind of assume that there had been previous conversations, and you just kind of imagine what it would be like to be in a conversation with God, unhindered by sin. You know, because here we are all as ones who have fallen short of the glory of God. We wish we could just talk with him, but there's this separation of sin. Praise God in Jesus Christ. It's removed, by the way, right? And so now we can go boldly to the throne of grace. But we imagine and we just picture this in a very real and physical sense, being able to speak with God one-on-one. And that's what I believe took place in Genesis chapter 1. That's what took place in the garden at the beginning before the fall. We don't have a picture and I'm making some assumptions here. I'm kind of stepping out a little bit. And if you disagree with me, you're welcome to share that. But I think being in that presence of God is the picture of what is given in Genesis 1 in the creation, and it's what God wants to restore 
in the garden that will come. Look at Genesis, or excuse me, Revelation chapter 22. Uh, the final chapter of our New Testament. In that final chapter, just look and glance at verses 1 through 3 of Genesis, or excuse me, Revelation 22. The last book, not the first one, okay? The Revelation to John. Then he showed me a river of the water of life. And now river was central to uh, the picture of the garden. Okay, so the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. So all this is, is the river, the tree of life, and no curse. The curse that came in chapter 3 of Genesis is to be removed by God. So Gen Revelation 22.3, There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will no longer be any light, not night there. So there's a, a different kind of picture of what the reality of heaven will be, but it is a restoration of what was perfect in the garden. The curse is gone. The curse is gone. And part of this then is the, for me, it's this thought and this challenge, this, this, this wonderful picture of being able to converse with God, to be able to see him face to face, and to talk with him. Prayer is conversation with God. So this is established in Genesis 1, Genesis chapter 3, some thoughts for you to consider. Now go to Genesis chapter 4. Even after the fall, we see a picture of God continuing to speak in conversation with Cain. Genesis chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, now, uh, you could read this in different ways. I'm going to read it like I think God would have spoke with the compassion and mercy and encouragement, trying to bring his child back to him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance falling, fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin's crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. God pleading with Cain, come on, you can do what's right. I know there was this failing, there's a shortcoming. Hey, such is life, but you can overcome. You can turn back to me. Don't let sin master you. You've got to master it. You can do it. So here's God speaking with Cain to encourage him. But again, the main thought, aside from the topic at hand, 
is God speaking, Cain hearing. This is the concept of conversation with God. God speaking, us being able to listen. Genesis chapter 4 verses 8 and following here, we'll go to 15, and we're going to see the conversation become a two-way conversation. Cain told his told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that, um, that Cain rose up against Abel and his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? The voice of the brother's blood, of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my anguish is too great to bear. Behold, you've driven me this day from the face of the ground and from the face from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. But now listen to this. This is a full conversation between God and a man who had this great shortcoming. So it's a it's just a, a, again, it's a terrible situation. But it's God speaking to man because he wants to maintain this relationship somehow, some way. He is still talking, he is still discussing. And you think about as you glance even just back through these couple of pages. It is so full of God speaking and man being able to hear. And this is really a unique thing in Scripture. A unique thing about uh, the Hebrew Bible, about our Bible, the Old Testament. It's God speaking. How many of the gods who uh, the, the people around Israel worshipped, do you think about them as they developed their religions? How many of them had God speaking to them? conversations recorded this is unique this is even as much as these conversations are terrible this is unique and it is beautiful God wants to speak to us even when he needs to correct us he is in relationship with us trying to fix things trying to encourage us to do what is right teaching us his law teaching us his ways so that we can honor him and when we fall short, he is talking to us, reaching out to us, calling us back to him. Come back to me. God is a God of relationship. He is a God of love. And as we think about prayer and we think about conversation, we have the great and mighty creator of the universe that we have. It. He speaks to us and we can talk back to him. Relationship. This is a beautiful thing, a very unique thing in terms of world religions. And it's a wonderful opportunity for us to know that God wants to restore that relationship back the way it was. That is the end goal. That is why Jesus has come, 
so that he could make all things new, to restore all things. A couple of years ago for our Super Saturday VBS with the kids, we talked about restoration. God wants to repair and restore things. This idea of salvation, God wanting to save us, is also related to this term salvage. We had this junk mower up here years ago. You remember that one? That that mower that was all falling apart, and we had to salvage that mower with junkyard dog. And we fixed it, put it back together, and that's what God wants to do with us. We see conversations that people had with God. And he wants that kind of a relationship with you and with me. Well, Genesis chapter 4, within that chapter, it seems like things decline. There's fewer conversations, but there's this hope at the end of people calling on the name of the Lord. Kind of a picture of, uh, you know, perhaps a more one-way conversation where we're just kind of knowing God and and speaking back to him, calling upon his name, asking him for help when we need help. And that's a beautiful thought too. But things have changed from the garden. But yet God still continues to talk to individuals. You can flip pages and you see how God speaks to Noah. And Noah always listens and obeys. And then we get to chapter 12. And in chapter 12, we have God picking a man by the name of Abram. And by the time we get to, and and the promise comes to to Abram, through your seed, all nations will be blessed. And God's speaking to him and calling to him, and Abraham is obeying. But then in chapter 15, we finally see Abraham, a, a time when he speaks back. In Genesis chapter 15, this entire chapter is this conversation between one man named Abram. Well, actually, by the time here, oh, no, it's not Abram. Abraham, yeah, it's still Abram. And it's this conversation. And, you know, there's always been this promise of the seed. In verse number two, Abram said, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born of my house is one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him. So here is this a two way conversation again. And there's hope for these conversations to continue to happen. And it's it's an encouraging thing. And one of the greatest examples of prayer, of conversation, is when in Genesis chapter 18. Remember, there were three men that show up, and Abraham sees them, and he says, Come in, I'll I'll prepare this meal for you. Stay here. And and then it's revealed, well, the, the promise of Isaac being born is given. But then also the Lord reveals to him, Hey, I'm on my way. I'm sending these two messengers to uh to go down to uh, where lot lives sodom and gomorrah are about to be wiped out its outcry is coming up to against them um so the lord in verse uh, chapter 18 verse 20 it says and the lord said the outcry of sodom and gomorrah is indeed great and their sin is exceedingly grave and this is the lord speaking to abraham I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. 
Then the men turned away from there, the two guys that were with the Lord, and went toward Sodom while Abraham was still standing there before the Lord. Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous? Far from be it from who are in it, far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay. Verse 26, so the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 who are righteous, I won't, I won't destroy it. And here's this picture of Abraham talking, reasoning with God. Hey, God, you said you're going to do this. Do you really want to do that? Is that really? Well, what if, what if this? What if this? What if this? On down to five. If you just find five, you know, God says, I'll save it. Conversation with God. (laughs) Reasoning with God. Isn't that bold? Abraham saying, hey, God, slow down a second here. Do you really want to do this? Is that really necessary? You're going to wipe out the righteous with the wicked. Think about that. It's a neat thought. It's prayer. It's conversation with God. In Genesis, here we are in chapter 18, the first chapters of Genesis, and then all through the entire Old Testament, you can see pictures of this. People conversing having these conversations with God. And when we go back there and read it, we're like, oh man, wouldn't that be something? And I want you to consider, as you think about, turn to, turn, turn to Psalm, I mentioned this at the beginning, Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1, to remind us of last week's lesson. Psalm chapter 1, it says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So that's being able to just talk, speak, all through the day. Have that word on your mind, meditating on it with your heart, thinking about God's laws and words and instructions, and to be able to speak it from your, your lips and even muttering those words throughout the day. That's going to make somebody prosper. That's a beautiful thing. And can you imagine those folks as they meditated upon that law, as they meditated on Genesis and kind of spoke and, and reread that story to themselves or respoke that. Now, they didn't read it, right? They respoke it to themselves as they went on their way. How many of them would have been like, man, Cain, you really messed up, but you got to speak to God, <laughs> you know? Adam and Eve in the garden hearing the very voice of God talking to him, walking with him. What a beautiful picture. Imagine as they, they hear their father, Abraham, having spoken to God and conversed with God. What a beautiful and wonderful, challenging, awe-inspiring thought. And I think most of those people who meditated upon that law would have been like us and said that would have been, it would be so wonderful. I'd love to experience that. But the thought is, just in general, this idea of prayer, it's conversation with God. That's what it is. First and foremost, prayer should be us doing what these folks did. And we have his word. 
And as we hear his word and we speak his word, we meditate on his word, we have it in our mind and on our heart, we can then respond and we can speak to God, declare how wonderful he is and speak to him and ask him to to hear our needs and to just consider the thought that, that he wants to hear us. He longs for relationship. He longs for us to pause and turn our thoughts to him. He speaks. We hear him in the word. And as God speaks to us, we should respond by speaking to him. So if we're meditating on the word, if we're meditating on the thoughts of Christ and all these scriptures, we can then respond and speak to him. My challenge to you Today, or this week, to begin today and to do the next week, and this will take a few days to really kind of complete, is to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 through 22. And the key verse is verse 17, pray without ceasing. Pray without stopping. Pray continually. That is the main thought. That we are going to be in conversation with God continually. Though we can't see his face, we have seen Jesus Christ. If we've seen Jesus, then we've seen the Father. Jesus went to heaven. He sent down his spirit to dwell within us. Let us not quench that spirit, but let us feed that spirit and and let that spirit be a fire within us. So let us pray without ceasing. And to do that, I would challenge you to memorize 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. Maybe you, you get this done, you might want to back up and memorize all of chapter 5. I don't know, or the entire book of 1 Thessalonians and have it on your lips. And while you're driving down the road, you can mutter this. But verse 14, we urge you then, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Be patient with everyone. So those words right there, or you have those words on your lips and in your mind, that is going to, you know, here we are in the midst of Lee County Food Drive. You know, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. we got to help. We've got to do what we can to help others. Let us do it. Verse 15, see that no one repays another with evil for evil. But always seek that which is good for one another and for all people. We need that in this day and age. You know, somebody says something bad to somebody on Facebook. Their response is to bite right back, but a little bit harder. All right? That's, That's not us. Let us have in our thoughts and minds that we're never going to repay evil for evil. But always seek that which is good. For one another and for all people. Verse 16, rejoice always. Man, in this day and age, it is so hard for me to have a little bit of joy in my life sometimes. I've heard many people talk about, I've got to turn off the news more now than ever. Yeah, do it. Focus, meditate upon the word of God. Have it on your lips and rejoice always because we have a Savior. Pray without ceasing. You get to that spot, if you're memorizing this, this passage, you get to that spot, pray without ceasing. I need to be praying all the time. And you, you might pause in the midst of the meditating and focus on God, your prayer to Him, whatever it may be. 
In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let that rule your life. Do not despise the prophetic utterances. Listen to God's word. And by the way, examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Somebody says something to you, like, you know, you don't, you don't have to go to church to pray. Well, yeah, that's true, but you still need to go and be a part of the body of Christ, right? Because that is the scripture. You examine everything. You hold on to that which is good. And you abstain from, abstain from every form of evil. This is a good passage for us that will bring us into a greater conversation with God and challenge us to have him in our lives. So Christians, that's your, uh, that's your example, that's your challenge. If anybody's not in Christ, he wants relationship. Will you surrender living life your own way and uh, focus on him and come into relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ? Have faith in Jesus. You've heard much about him. You know much about him. Respond to him with faith. Believe in him. Say, I'm done with the old life. I'm going to do things Jesus' way the rest of my life, and I'm going to give him my life in baptism because he's the only way I can be saved. Call upon his name. I need you. I need a savior. I need Jesus, the savior of the world. Give your life to him in baptism. Be buried with him and you can be washed and made clean. No more sins. And when there's no more sin, you can have a conversation. It's a beautiful thing. I encourage you to give your life to Christ if you haven't done so. If you need to respond, find me today, call me, call somebody else. Get right with Christ. Right now we're going to remember our Savior at this this table.